What's the story behind the story? We'll find out on Dropping In. Our guests are today's original thinkers, conversations that spark new ways of seeing what's going on. We bring it all to the table. Diverse perspectives, controversy, loving, and singular voices. Magically, stories reveal the common threads that link us. Experience the joys, the fist pumps, the detours, and the hard-won truths of those who blaze the trail so that we might do the same. And now, here's your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. It's the unofficial end to summer, usually a carefree season. But this one has featured the pandemic, global warming, including wildfires, and Not only are the senses overwhelmed by these experiences and even we are physically impacted by them negatively, it's created a mental health crisis within the crisis as we struggle to process while being helpless to act to fix some of these situations. Here to point the way, historically writers have described their experiences and at times how to cope. Our guest today, Terry Cheney, has written two books that have helped me, for one, understand myself and how to have compassion for others who may be suffering from bipolar disorder. Terry documents bipolar disorder and her efforts to deal with it in her book, Modern Madness, A User's Guide to Bipolar Disorder, published by Hachette Go. It's an empowerment guide and a memoir. She discusses stigma, diagnosis, treatment, and relationships to help readers clearly understand the struggle of living with bipolar disorder. Terry is also the author of Manic, a memoir, her first book, which became a New York Times bestseller. Cheney has depicted her harrowing double life as an elite entertaining entertainment attorney who suffers from bipolar disorder. Both of these books give us hope. Thanks so much, and welcome, Terry. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Diane. It's great to be here. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about two of your points that were made in both the uh, modern madness and in manic, and that is the mind-body connection relating to mental health and correlating to physical health, how there are physical manifestations of mental health and how they're very mal very well may be physical causes. Um, And I also wanted to talk to you about your writing because it is, after all, a physical activity. So I I wondered if we could just dive right in here at the deep end and, and talk about how writing has helped you align the sides of your existence, your, your professional side and your personal side, obviously, but also has it helped you integrate your uh, bipolar condition, and um, if so, how so? Well, writing has been just probably my most essential tool in my recovery arsenal. I don't know what I would do without it. Uh, it allows me, people often ask me, you know, isn't it hard to write about these terrible experiences like suicide attempts, for example, but it allows me to have perspective that I wouldn't otherwise have. It allows me to separate a little bit from the experiences, and in the end, I feel like I own 
the stories. They don't own me. So it, I, I highly recommend it for anybody who has a mental illness. It just gives you that level of uh, connection with yourself and also just a little bit of distance, which is necessary. Yeah, it creates the ability to observe yourself in a way, right? You, and when you're telling your story, you're immersed in it, but you're also seeing yourself in a different way. Would you say that that's true? It or? A, yes, it's, it's a strange phenomenon, and I think a lot of people mental illness are outsiders or feel like outsiders, like they're, they're watching other people interact, for example, and trying to figure out, you know, what is the normal way to respond in this particular situation. So um, I think people with mental illness make really good writers. They have that, that slight uh, separation from what's going on, hopefully. Absolutely, and there's a lot of um, corollary between mental illness and creativity, but um, I've also read that, you know, just writing creates a mind-body-spirit connection, as you're mentioning. Uh, When you use your hands or your pen to type something from your brain, you're creating a connection between your inner experience and your body's movement uh, out in the world. Uh, I, I wonder also if you feel it changes the orientation from, say, left brain to right brain or, you know, right brain bring, being the creative, emotional, more intuitive side, the left brain being the more logical side that uses words as a foundation. Oh, that's a fascinating question. Um, I've often thought about the... the uh, connection and the distance between both sides of my brain because I was an entertainment lawyer for so long and that was very left brain and uh, being a writer, I really am utilizing my right brain more and more and I think I'm happier on the right side of my brain Um, but it does, writing does require both because you need to have a certain logic to your stories, for example, and you need to be able to um, call up the words. But I, I never really thought about it, whether whether both sides were being integrated. I hope so. I think so very much, in, in particular in Modern Madness, which is a book that really helped me see from a different perspective, because you talk... In it, you talk about how you think episodically, so you recall different scenes, but more by the sense of mood or inflection or the tone or the intensity of them, rather than as a chronology, rather than as, you know, giving readers background information. You're actually immersing yourself in the scenes and then stringing them together, and then on top of that creating a really logical framework for us, because as you say, it's called a user's guide. Um, You've created a a logical framework for us to to actually, you know, have suggestions on, you know, if we know someone with bipolar disorder, um, really understanding bipolar disorder, just sort of really, you know, tackling the user's guide side of it, that feels really logical to me. And I wondered if, 
you felt as though writing briefs as an entertainment lawyer was something that had informed your writing because it does have to be so clear. I think it definitely did affect my writing to be a lawyer. There is always the the desire to make sense and to persuade, particularly persuasion is important in writing. And uh, Manic was more of an immersion into moods than um, Modern Madness also is a memoir but has more... uh, technical information, more clinical information, because I felt that by the time Modern Madness came out, uh, which was about 10 years after Manic, it was clear to me that I belonged to a much larger subset than just bipolar disorder, that there was a world of mental illness, uh, which unfortunately is growing as we speak, and I really wanted to reflect both the the inside experience, but also be more um, mindful of the outside experience. You know, what do we know about mental illness? What does it look like? What can we do about it? These are the questions that really haunted me as I wrote Modern Madness. I really, I think it is haunting, and as you mentioned, it's one of the more imprecise, um, there's no physical marker or indicator like there is with diabetes, um, and there's no particular organ attached to it, because there's so many times when I feel as though you talk about the physical implications, um, the sensory experience, on, you know, physiologically on your skin, having sensory um, stimuli becomes a marker for uh, developing a manic episode. You know, and, and really, right. I, you know, when you talk about, and, and, and so I, I wondered if you could also just, I mean, there's really a lot to unpack here because, as you say, it is a growing phenomenon. There's something like, you know, a, a thousand percent increase in, you know, a suicide help, and prevention lines, um, yeah, the COVID-19 has, has launched a second pandemic. Um, there are one-third of U.S. adults self-identified as clinically anxious or depressed, and experts have predicted that 75 additional 75,000 additional uh, deaths may be caused by the corona despair. I mean, and I think then you really are talking about a much long, a much larger strata of people that this is encompassing. Yes. Um, and there's even the thought that, you know, I mentioned the wildfires also, because there's even the thought that what we're breathing now, seven states have uh, below acceptable, you know, air quality levels, that these are also damaging um, brain tissue. So, you know, we're, we're undergoing a lot of, let's say, physical assault. And I guess I'm reading... We, we are definitely under stress, yes. There's no question about it. And interestingly, I just read yesterday, uh, to add to those statistics that you cited, it's now 41% of Americans reporting depression or anxiety. Um, that was as of January, so I'm sure it's even higher now, but 
if you compare that to 11% in 2019, that is a tremendous jump in people who are self-reporting depression or anxiety. And another statistic I just uh, happened to happened across this morning was that uh, there's been a 50% increase from pre-COVID times in the number of deaths from drug overdoses, something right. that's sort of been, you know, shunted to the side a little bit as we focus on all the things that are facing us as a nation, but 50% increase, that's, that's horrifying. Um, so there's no question that we are in a a second pandemic, as you say. Well, this is all the language that, um, you know, I really gleaned from reading your books. And honestly, it makes it, you know, at a macro level and all of this enlargement, I wonder if you feel that having written the two books, that your ability to help normalize and therefore address some of the mental health issues, including bipolar, that people are experiencing, um, do you feel as though, you know, your contribution, does it, does it increase in a commensurate way, or do you feel that there are people still shunting this under the rug and trying to camouflage mental health issues? Well, actually, to be honest with you, I have great hope for what's going on now. I I think there's been a tremendous increase in the coverage of mental health. I mean, I'm just constantly amazed that every day there's something new. As I said, I just read this morning this new statistic, and I think that because of COVID and the tremendous psychological impact that it's had on our country, there's going to be an unprecedented awareness of and compassion for mental illness, particularly depression and anxiety, since most people are going through that. Um, I think people are going to realize just how incredibly precious our mental health is to our daily functioning. And I'm, I'm rather excited about the, the notion that people even in sports, for example, are beginning to recognize that mental health is physical health. If you look at what happened with Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, and um, it's a very difficult time, but I think it could also, we won't emerge unchanged from these times, let's put it that way, and I think that's grounds for hope. I agree. I think in particular, I mean, Simone Biles, um, at such a high-profile moment and as a high-profile athlete, um, you know, stopping, uh, just pausing, just hitting pause and prioritizing her mental health, um, it does relate very directly to her physical health. And Naomi Osaka, why athletes should endure a kind of emotional barrage in press conferences that when they're trying to focus um, on their athletic performance, you know, it does call into question, right. you know, hey, wait a minute, what are, we, what are we actually doing to ourselves? Aren't we enough already under enough stress? And aren't these athletes already under enough performance anxiety? You know, it's really, it's really interesting, you know, the, the psychoneurological science, you know, is really, 
you've probed it and you've done an enormous amount of research to produce these books. Um, you know, it, one of the one of the things that I keep reading about is just you know uh, inflammation, inflammation that can be psychic, that can be caused by psychological stress, that then is, as you say, connected to the endocrine system, our nervous system. It's the whole mind-body connection to, um, to our experience. And here you are documenting it, um, which in and of itself is perhaps a way of externalizing it for you, but also a way for people to relate to grab on and say, right. hey, wait a minute, I, I relate to what she's saying. This is, um, you know, it, yeah. it is fascinating. The, the um, inflammation theory has got me very excited. The notion that depression, for example, could be the result of inflammation throughout the body, not just because, you know, gee, maybe there's a cure on the way, but also just for stigma purposes, it's so much easier for people to latch on to a physical illness than it is for them to, to understand a mental illness, even though, you know, it is a brain dysfunction, mental illness. So there is a, it's just a three and a half pound organ that is going awry. But it's much easier for people to, I think, understand the concept of inflammation throughout the body. And I'm hoping that will lead to a biomarker, um, you know, a measure, an objective measure that can show us depression or mood disorders. Um, because we really need that. We, we're, we're just desperate in the mental health community for... Um, objective proof. Absolutely, for empirical evidence. And also that there's yes. some shift because, as you say, there's been such a, a, such a sense, sense of shame and that somehow mental illnesses, it's all in your head. It's self-induced. Right. Um, you know, this kind, of, this kind of thinking needs to be upended. And when you're talking about inflammation, I just go back to thinking about your skin and your sensory um, aversion to, say, the stimulus of taking a shower in the morning if you're in a heightened state, if you're in a manic state. I mean, that tells me something about some level of inflammation in your sensory system, right? I mean, these are, these are at interplay. And one of the things that, that has been established neuroscientifically is that there's more activity in the prefrontal regions of the brain with uh, bipolar um, and also with creativity. <laughs> so, um, Yes, you know, I know. I love that connection. It's so interesting, right? I, making connections and I, making associations. Yeah. I think that um, something that always amazes me, fortunately, I don't get as severely depressed as I used to, but um, in a depression, I am always, always amazed by how physical it is. I mean, it's, for example, for me, I undergo something called psychomotor retardation, which means my body will just not obey my mind. I could be, um, I'm looking at a pencil right now on my desk and I could 
want to pick up that pencil and I could just stare at it for 15 minutes and not get my hand to move to the pencil. It just simply won't obey. And, you know, that problem with taking a shower is, is uh, very common. Um, you just sometimes can't move. And to me, that spells out that it's physical more than anything else. Um, it is a physical disease and it is, it should be regarded as, uh, you know, a physical debilitating illness just as much as, as a malfunctioning liver would be. Absolutely. And this doesn't just start today. I mean, this has historical roots. And you, know, you think about, um, sorry, it was always termed so, um, so crudely, but the madness of King George and now there's, right. you know, chemical analysis that they found higher concentrations of arsenic, which came through the water supply, um, you know, in his, you know, ha- in the DNA of his hair. Um, so he was predisposed to an illness called uh, porphyria, which is a metabolic disease that can cause a buildup of toxins in the blood. So, you know, he suffered these hallucinations. He suffered all kinds of, um, you know, madness. And, of course, no one had any idea that there might be some root cause. And as we go through climate change, I start to think about root causes that are coming through environmental changes um, in the earth, in the air we breathe, in the water we drink. I mean, does that resonate with you? Yeah, it terrifies me that we're going through global warming because... um, the the mentally ill have a problem with heat regulation of their body. In fact, um, and many of the medications that you have to take also contribute to that. But there is a, a study I just read recently that showed that um, psychiatric admissions for suicide attempts go up exponentially when it's hot. And I, I worry about these things. I worry that the global warming is going to have an impact on mental illness. I mean, these are just, you know, they're, the examples are so many that you can't even count them how the environment, you know, is going to impact our mind and, and the way that we function. People just don't really know yet, but I just can tell from my own personal experience that it is really, really significant. Absolutely. And you find yourself sort of, you know, on the on the vanguard of creating awareness and also offering some concrete solutions. We have to stop for a commercial break here, but when we come back, we'll continue talking with Terry Cheney about some of these tangible uh, resolution uh, aids and how to help ourselves through this, that someday there might be a breakthrough <laughs> for bipolar disorder and that it would no longer be considered a, quote, mental illness. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In with Terry Cheney, author of Modern Madness. Be 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Terry Cheney, author of Manic and Modern Madness. Both are memoirs, but they're also chock-a-block with information that I would call objective And a lot of it points to a connection between mental health as a physiological state, that there may be imbalances that are internal and external uh, that are contributing to an influx of uh, mental health issues that, in fact, people without an empirical marker, Terry, feel that there's always the self-doubt, the gaslighting. It's hard to believe that this is actually happening without the evidence to diagnose, which is also one of the reasons that it takes so very long for many people to have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. But you, you, have, really, you have really taken, you've uncapped this, and you've talked a lot about the physical manifestations that you experience that your, your, your voice, um, the pace of your voice increases, even your appearance changes. I'm just wondering, with yes. all of these, these physical changes, don't you feel, and, and, and also don't you feel that these are sort of physical messages that you're getting that are telling you that something's going on when you are having an episode? It's not really a mental message, oh, is it? 
they are so helpful. It's so helpful to know your personal symptoms and triggers. I think it's just essential for managing your, your illness. Um, I know that when I start to talk like Minnie Mouse, you know, my voice gets high and I talk really fast that I'm probably heading into a manic episode or um, you had talked earlier about the sensations on my skin, the little hairs on my arms will stand on end when I'm um, manic. Just little things like that that are, you know, once you really start to recognize the patterns, um, you have a lot more control and a lot more, um, I would say, just relief that you mm-hmm. understand yourself a little better and it's not just this amorphous blob that's coming over you. Um, but that is why it takes quite a while to get a good diagnosis because um, these patterns have to emerge and it can take people, usually takes people up to 10 years to get a proper bipolar diagnosis. Yeah. I wonder also, I mean, you, you mentioned, I thought it was one of the most helpful points, that if you are, are with someone who's experiencing an episode, that, that maybe the best thing to do is to just ask them where it hurts where psychically it hurts, where physiologically it hurts. And I thought that was such an apt description, and it so points to the fact that you, you have this kind of far, this ranging, it's actually migrating through your body um, kind of experience, and that, you know, for, for lack of a better approach, um, rather than people telling you you should go out and do yoga or take a walk, Maybe they should just listen in to you talk about where it's hurting for you in that, in that moment. Um, is that one of the reasons that on a large scale it's been gratifying to write your memoirs? Oh, Diane, I am so thrilled that you brought that up. That is one of my causes uh, as a mental health advocate and just as a person going through mental illness. Those five little words, tell me where it hurts, are something I've discovered that I think are revolutionary because it's so human. It's just human nature to want to give advice, to want to solve problems, to want to fix it. And when people are depressed, they simply can't hear advice. It just goes in one ear and out the other. And you've probably tried everything that's being suggested anyway. Um, but uh, nonetheless, people will tell you to eat more blueberries or clear your chakras or, you know, go for a run. And it's just not helpful to hear advice. But when you say to someone, tell me where it hurts, some of that darkness that's inside gets exposed to the light and it dissipates and it's extremely liberating. Um, now I have to caution that it's not always easy to hear what a depressed person or an anxious person is going to say because, you know, there's some hard truths about the world that might come out and, you have to remind yourself that you're doing this because you love the person and you want them to feel seen, you know, feel seen and heard. And it's a tremendous 
tool that I hope people will will use. Tell me where it hurts. Absolutely. And through your writing, you do talk about where it hurts, some of the points of despair, not just the physiological, but, you know, you're communicating almost at, a, at, a, at just a, a macro level to all of us to say, this is where it hurts. And we are all, we, we benefit from that. We are all the better for taking out our platitudes, for taking out all of our prescriptives, and to, to actually listen to your experience through your books. I think that that's an enormous revelation. You know, clearly the expert is the person experiencing that, that episode. Right. Um, and that just shifts everything completely, you know, in addition to shining a light in and, and how freeing it is to not have to be covering up. I mean, you know, at the outset, I was talking about the alignment that your writing has brought you. You no longer have to fake it. Um, you right. now, you don't have a, a duplicitous um, existence where you're trying to act normal um, and I wondered about what those pressures are like in terms of inflaming a mental illness. Uh, it is so difficult to keep up the facade of, I guess we can call it normalcy. Um, one of the most unbelievable experiences of writing these books has been, the, as you say, the fact that I don't have to lie anymore. I had to lie most of my life about how I was feeling and the, the extreme liberation of just saying I'm not doing well today or I feel depressed, I can't tell you. It's been life-changing. Um, and it's, I think it's really enhanced my friendships and it certainly has made me feel better about myself not to be a constant liar. Um, but the interesting part has been, I thought when I wrote Manic that this was a very bizarre story that was not going to resonate with anyone. And the fact that it became this instant New York Times bestseller just showed me that there is a universality to, um, to mental illness and to you know, to dark feelings that people really don't understand that you're not alone. You're not alone feeling bad. So many people feel bad and they just are afraid to acknowledge it. So when you do start telling your truth, it's empowering not just for you, but for everybody around you. I thought it was interesting, too, um, that you... I think you had a predilection for honesty going way, way back because you, you also shunned the boilerplate language for your legal briefs. You came up with the original argument. You thought about things, and you related defiant to expectations sometimes. You've taken risks all along, it seems to me, one of which included being in a panel discussion um, among uh, entertainment folks and you being the resident expert in, in mental illness, which is quite an onus, um, but talking about <laughs> the power of labels, labels get a bad name, right? But 
is there some right. way in which having a container of a label, a descriptor, something to actually latch onto that actually reclaims your world? Oh, my diagnosis was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, first of all, it allowed me to get proper treatment. I had been being treated for major depression before that, and antidepressants are not always a good idea for bipolar people. It can cause you to become manic. But it was also mm. the sense of there's something I can name and therefore I can control. There's a tremendous power in naming the beast, and it felt to me like when I was when I got my bipolar diagnosis, it wasn't my fault anymore. It was this thing that I could point to and say, "Okay, let's go research that. Let's go deal with that," um, rather than oh, I must be at fault for everything that I'm feeling and thinking. So the label for me has been a godsend. And I feel like there's one step further to go. The label as a godsend is a way of sort of containing and understanding, but then also understanding that even the label, the disease itself, may not be originating in your own mind, that it comes from inner and outer forces. And this is also just such a vast contribution um, that your that your books make. Um, I, I have a quote here from Elizabeth Sullivan. She's a therapist in San Francisco, and she says that writing is speaking to another consciousness, the reader, or another part of the self. We come to know who we really are in the present moment. Um, and I think, I think that's just such a great thought, but also you are sharing that um, and how has the communication of uh, your experience ha- been a validator for you? Um, where do you see it going? Are you going to continue to write the public speaking that we mentioned? What will you do to, con- to continue to be a voice? Well, I'm writing another memoir as we speak. Um, I think writing memoir is what I've been put on this earth to do, frankly, um, after several suicide attempts. Um, there must be a reason I've survived, and I think it's to tell my story so that other people can have, you know, a vocabulary to describe their own symptoms and their own feelings. That just feels like a mission to me. So I... In spite of people telling me, gee, wouldn't you like to write fiction or something, you know, something Mm -hmm. a little less uh, dark than writing about mental illness, I don't consider it dark. I consider it triumphant. I mean, if somebody had told me 20 years ago when I was a miserable lawyer that I would be talking to you today about reclaiming my life, I, I wouldn't have believed it. And it really has been just an extraordinary journey. It's absolutely a gift. It's absolutely um, something that has really, I think, contributed to the dialogue that's creating the dialogue. Uh, And I think that, you know, we're really just so grateful that you've, um, 
that you've taken it upon yourself, that you've answered the call, and that you developed this sense of mission. Um, for those listeners who don't know Terry Cheney, you are the author of the New York Times bestseller, Manic, uh, which was translated into eight foreign languages. Your writings and commentary about bipolar disorder have been featured in the New York Times, the LA Times, the Huffington Post, NPR, and countless articles and popular blogs. Uh, you have a blog on Psychology Today, which has over one million views. And you were once a successful entertainment attorney representing the likes of Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones. You now devote your advocacy skills to the cause of destigmatizing mental illness. You are a member of the board of directors at the Sachs Institute for Mental Health, Law, Policy, and Ethics, and on the honorary board of directors at the International Bipolar Foundation. I did want people to understand the Sachs. Um, the, the Sachs Institute, that is something that's also really fascinating that you've linked with a like-minded person, uh, would you say, in Ellen Sachs, who's written her own autobiography, The Center Cannot Hold. Would you agree that writing autobiography and maybe, um, you know, shining a light in the darkness is it an act of generosity? It's not the act of self-absorption that people sometimes say it is. Oh, I love that you say that. Um, sometimes it does feel like self-absorption, but I think sharing your story is the ultimate brave uh, response to existential crisis. I think it's just so important for other people not to feel alone. That seems to be the, especially right now during COVID, it's so important that feeling of connection and not being isolated. So I generosity to it. Um, one thing you didn't mention that I'm extremely proud of is that Anne Hathaway played my life story on the modern love episode that was uh, shown on Amazon TV. I mean, that that had a whole new audience that went way beyond writing. And uh, it was a terrific episode. I'm very proud of it. So I just want to throw that in. Definitely. And d different um, media that uh, are communicating this message. I, I wondered, when I listened to the audio book of Modern Madness, I thought I heard... Kate Winslet as a producer, and I, I wondered if there would be more dramatic enactment, enactments through film, um, or is there anything in the works to, to, to actually have people, you know, see, hear uh, this in a, you know, different formats? Yes, actually, the producers of the Modern Love series are currently... Um, They've put together an idea for combining Manic and Modern Madness for a television series. So we're, we have fingers crossed for that. Um, and there has been much interest over the years about adapting these, uh, particularly Manic. I think it is very cinematic and um, dramatic and could have a real impact on people. So I'm... I'm very hopeful. Well, I'm thrilled. Um, I think that even, you know, you, you really, um, 
you are brave. Many people have told you that, I'm sure. What, what are some of the other uh, effects in terms of, you know, you obviously communicate now on a broad scale with people throughout media. What's the best way for people to reach you? You have a blog. You have um, these associations. Do you still um, actually, post-pandemic, if we could get to a post, <laughs> um, anticipate sure. public speaking again? Or what's the best way for people to reach out or to become part of your audience? I mean, certainly the Anne Hathaway I will look into, but what's the best way for people to reach out? Well, I'm very good at responding to people. I'm fascinated by other people's stories, and uh, I'm just so excited that people reach out and want to talk about what's going on with them. So um, if you want to reach me on Facebook, it's Terry Cheney Author, or on Twitter, it's at T. Cheney Author, and that's C-H-E-N-E-Y. My website is terrycheney.com. That's currently under construction. I wouldn't recommend that at the moment, but um, I'm, I'm always thrilled to hear from my readers, and, and I've had great dialogues with them in the past. So, yeah, feel free to reach out. That's so cool. Um, I, I do think that um, you, 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 do, you do take um, the silence, you, you do treasure silence as a creative person, but, you know, the silence in this case can be so harmful and that you do communicate um, personally is just such a, uh, it's just such a, well, again, something that is, uh, it shows your humanity. Um, I, I wonder about this, idea of connection making, which is really metaphors, which creative people are quite good at, there is a downside to that, right? You can continuously um, ruminate uh, on connections that maybe are not um, valid or that are detrimental to your mental health. Uh, We have just a few minutes to close, believe it or not, but I wonder if you feel that because words have become a big part of your life, that cognitive reframing of some of this rumination um, is important and and is that maybe why it's been a helpful aspect of recovery? I think cognitive reframing is essential to recovery. Um, You need to be able to see some meaning in your life. That's what writing has done for me. It's given me a sense of, of purpose and it's given me the feeling that there is a connection between the different disparate points in my life that I didn't see at the time. Um, I, I'm always astonished that things do add up in the end. Uh, it feels when we're living it, like, there, you know, this doesn't make any sense. But surprisingly, there is a pattern to life, and, and it's marvelous to uncover it through writing. Well, you've had a writing group for several decades now, and you uh, explore your narratives, the ones you tell yourselves and the ones you share. Uh, I, I think that that's something that um, would be helpful for, 
for many of us as we go through trying to make sense out of circumstances we can't control, um, the pandemic and all of the implications of climate change and really just to cope with day-to-day life. Um, I just can't thank you enough, Terry Cheney. I'm so glad that there's a future beyond even just these two fabulous books. Um, your high, high functioning and high creativity, it's really only matched by your ability to be quite down to earth and quite communicative directly in layman's terms. It couldn't be more helpful. I really urge people to read them and, and thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you, Diane. What a marvelous thing to say. I really appreciate it. It's been a true pleasure, and as I say, it's been illuminating for me personally. It's given me a new perspective, it's given me insight, and it's given me a lot of compassion. So if you're optimistic having gone through what you have been through, we can afford to be hopeful as well. I want to thank also our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, to our executive producer, Robert Cialino, and most of all, to you, our listeners. Remember to stay safe out there and open up your mind. Till next week, thank you for dropping in. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then. 